And it's still a masterpiece. Now that track from Frank's Wild Years from the 80s was almost uniquely used in The Wire as the theme music, but each series had a different version of the song recorded by a different artist. And Tom Waits' original version featured as the theme music to season two. But here we are, you're with Julian on the Brown Note, The Wire special, uh, reviewing each season of The Wire, starting at number one. Now, Baltimore has... Baltimore's got like a, a greater urban population of around 2 million, I think, and it's got a, a city population of about 500,000. What it does do very well is crime. Uh, it, it's a, one of those Rust Belt cities that lost all of its industry and is now very, very impoverished and crime-ridden. And sadly, even though Series 1 of The Wire debuted in 2002 when things were this bad, it still is. It currently has a murder rate of around 14 times New York. And even though it's far smaller than Chicago, it has a similar body count, which is just insane. And this is 16, 18 years after the show premiered. It's still that bad. Um, lots of poverty, massive uh, African-American population and no industry that propelled it to great wealth, you know, 50 years ago, all gone. Um, and it's a port city as well, and a lot of the docks have just become automated or not even in use. Uh, series one began with the Dominic West play character of Jimmy McNulty, the de facto lead character of all of the series of The Wire. He played a detective who appears at court and is watching as alongside Idris Elba as Stringer Bell, um, as the character of D'Angelo Barksdale, played by Lawrence Gillard, is on trial for murder. And they have two eyewitnesses. And amazingly, one of the eyewitnesses says, yes, I saw this guy kill someone. And the next eyewitnesses says, no, it wasn't him, completely changing her story. Uh, which causes everyone in, in the courtroom to go into paroxysms of anger because she'd previously said that he had done it. It turns out D'Angelo Barksdale is the nephew of Avon Barksdale, the local drug kingpin, and they have basically got to one of the witnesses, luckily for her, for a while, because the other witness soon enough ends up dead, uh, even though the trial has uh, collapsed by this stage, he still gets murdered in broad daylight. But Dominic West is uh, so appalled he goes to a, a judge friend of his and says, you know, these guys are just getting away with murder. There's a dozen bodies that we can put against Avon Barksdale's criminal organisation and no one even knows who he is. We don't even have a picture of him. Which leads the judge to then go to the press and one of the tropes of The Wire is born, which is that Jimmy McNulty goes above his superiors. They absolutely detest him for it hammer the hell out of him and um, higher-ups get involved and start wanting this Avon Barksdale looked into and so begins the Shakespearean epic tale of The Wire which is almost like Wagner's Ring Cycle it's so vast in scope and it's a, it's an opera it, it really is it's noted for its literary bent in its writing and the vastness of its scope um, he's he Basically, they form a special elite task force, a major crimes unit, to investigate Avon Barksdale because this thing has got into the press. 
and that's caused a lot of trouble for the uh, another trope of the wire is higher ups getting beaten up by their superiors and they are not happy at all that this guy has gone up to a judge who's then gone to the press and this has become a big deal so they set up this uh, special crimes unit and the title the wire comes from the fact that throughout all five seasons there's some form of uh, technology involved in recording communications between criminals and uh, the bureaucracy in getting such things up is another huge part of the show this one is the most simple of the programs because it has the least amount of additional uh, additional series to fit in so we just get the avon barksdale drug organization which we see from them sitting in front of some very rundown project buildings selling drugs to people on the street up to uh, idris alba and also Avon Barksdale himself is the top of this particular pyramid. So we see the criminal side, and then the other 50% of the show is we see Jimmy McNulty and all of the police side, which is often shown to be highly dysfunctional, very um, aggressively bitter to anyone that goes up the chain of command, um, bypassing their superiors, and in general not remotely interested in solving crime for crime's sake. It's, a, it's one of the another of the tropes of the show is trying to define people's deaths as not murder. Uh, it's, it's considered a great crime to actually define a death as murder. If they can get away with it being an accidental death, they sure will. And so that's the um, that's the entirety of the first season is trying to get information on Avon Barksdale's crew. Um, often with brutal police tactics on the street, we're shown. Uh, three very brutal policemen at the start who have very, very different trajectories throughout all five series. Uh, and they end up bashing a kid who badmouthed them, causing him blindness in one eye and leading to virtually a riot. Um, and all these things sort of gel together as the various components of the police force try and get as much information on their crew before trying to take down Avon Barksdale and his merry men um, there are many other side issues going on throughout the whole series the most interesting is the character of I haven't got him listed now Michael Michael K Williams who plays the character of Omar Omar is the most popular character in the wire Omar is one of the most interesting characters in American television history uh, Michael K Williams is a brilliant actor and he plays basically the black Robin Hood. But the character isn't just that. He is a gay black gangster, which is virtually unheard of. It's a very macho world. Being openly gay like he is, is just not done. It's never heard of. Secondly, his criminal target is other drug dealers. He only robs drug dealers. He has this strict moral code where he cannot involve civilians. And he became a touchstone for the series because his story arc is slightly independent to everyone else's, but intertwined in the fabric as they kill Avon Barksdale's gang, kill his boyfriend and torture his boyfriend uh, early on in proceedings. So he maintains this almost five-season vendetta against the drug lords of Baltimore, which is, um, for many people, the most enjoyable part of the series. Uh, Jimmy McNulty is um, a requisite American cop. He has, he drinks at work. He has a bottle of whiskey in his pocket most of the time. He's already been turfed out by his ex-wife. 
He fornicates wildly with anyone that he can. He can barely drive his own car home. He is perhaps the worst behaved cop in America, but given the, pa- the fact that one of the main instigators of the wire, Ed Burns, was a homicide detective for 10 years, and the other was a writer on crime who knew all of the homicide detectives for, for many years, there is um, a definite accuracy in their portrayal, which you would scarcely believe. Another of the best characters, uh, the cast is just insane. Wood Harris as Avon Barksdale represents the prerequisite gangster, and the dichotomy of that is that his partner and best friend Stringer Bell doesn't want to be a gangster. He wants to be a businessman, whereas Avon Barksdale is a gangster and mistrusts businessmen. And that friction is what floats the first three seasons of the show. And there's also the group of detectives um, centred around Jimmy McNulty, but also um, Wendell Pierce as Bunk Moreland is one of the most appealing cop characters ever. He's this very laconic, very sharply dressed, very large African-American man that has the best one-liners in the show and is liked by absolutely everyone. He never gets too deep into things, whereas... Uh, the Dominic West character of Jimmy McNulty is often in freefall. Um, as a series, it's wonderful. It's noted, it was criticised when it was released for being too complicated. No quarter given. You've got to sit down and pay attention. There are so many characters and there are so many environments and so many different things going on that it's impossible to follow unless you invest fully into it. And part of that is the reason why it was a slow burn success. Uh, it never really won a. It never won an Emmy. Uh, it wasn't really nominated for many awards because it was one of those shows, and that was the sort of like the whole thing about the golden era of TV was people playing catch up and binge watching. So it was only after it had been on for a few seasons that it really started gelling this huge audience behind it. So it did miss out on. You weren't going to see this nominated for Golden Globes and Emmys because it was in the margins. And it wasn't in LA, or it wasn't in New York, it was in Baltimore. No one cared about Baltimore. It was ridiculously convoluted. But it was also really, really cool, and it was beautifully written. And two of the pivotal characters of the first season play, uh, one of them is the D'Angelo Barksdale character, and another one is, um, I can't remember his name, but a young kid. They both play people that are morally very affected by the drug world that they're in. They have heart and they have sentiment and they have feelings and that makes it incompatible for them. Uh, And one of the... Wallace, the character of Wallace, who's a young kid, both of them flirt with um, turning state's evidence against the Barksdale organisation and both of them pay with their lives. In Wallace's case, it's a pivotal moment in the first season because two of the younger characters in it that last throughout virtually every season... They have to kill their friend. And the few minutes where that's happening is some of the most upsetting television you'll ever see. It's a really painful experience. And the show doesn't shy away from that at all. It's extremely graphic. It's got probably as much swearing as a Martin Scorsese film and sex. It doesn't shy away from anything at all. Um, And it's very progressive as well. The lead female cop in it. I think it's Sandra Johns plays that character. I'm not 100% sure, but she's a gay police officer as well. So they have a very progressive palette on the cast. 
Um, the dialogue throughout is magnificent, particularly if you like gangster stuff like that, and I do a bit. I'm a sucker for L.A. gangster films. Uh, and this creates a, a wonderland for Baltimore. It's an incredible environment. And the fact that you don't know Baltimore that well makes it all the more interesting. Um, and the, le- the level of depth where we see these um, corner boys and the way that their hierarchical structure is on the street where they're selling drugs, the way the junkies interact. One of the main characters in all series is the character of Bubbles, played by Andre Royo, who starts as um, a homeless drug addict, but who grows and grows throughout all five seasons. One of the most popular characters in the show. Happily, he attains a good place by the end. Um, But we see everything. We see these horrible bureaucrats at the top who beat down the police below them, who regard any slight against them as something a a 10-year vendetta wouldn't lift, who are beholden to spineless politicians who only care about re-election. And you see this mirror of the way that the um, organisational structure of the criminals and the organisational structure of police often mirror each other in the way that they plan out uh, and the development of informants and so on. So, I won't, yeah, I can't go this long on every season, otherwise I won't finish. But season one of The Wire, I'm going to give a 9 out of 10. Um, it wasn't the pinnacle of The Wire. It was a landmark in TV, given its complexity and given the grittiness of the subject matter and the depth of the subject matter and the complexity it really does deserve its place as a landmark of the series and it isn't even the best series so why season one from 2002 a nine out of ten this is bad bunny a latino artist from his weirdly titled YHLQMDLG album. We're Julian on the Brown Note reviewing the entirety of The Wire, which I recently binge-watched. One of the most shocking things The Wire series did was move uh, environments or add entirely new environments, and that may have been one of the reasons why it took so long to catch on. After creating this incredible world of African-American drug dealers and a mostly white police force after the Avon Barksdale organisation. It was a genuine shock when season two opened in 2003 and was in the port uh, with a bunch of white Polish descendants. Uh, Jimmy McNulty, the chief detective from the previous series, because he had gone to higher-ups and bypassed the chain of command and caused a lot of trouble for everyone by revealing that all these murders were happening in their city that no one was even looking into. He got payback at the end of season one. And there's sort of like an ongoing joke, which is people will say, your bosses will say to you, just tell us where you don't want to be sent. And when you screwed them over, that's exactly where you get sent. So Jimmy Minolci said, as long as you don't send me to the working on the water, which is, of course, what happens. He gets sent to be a river policeman. Uh, and at the start of the series, he fishes a body out of the river. Um, he's got this very low-key job. Uh, and at the same time, there is uh, Amy Ryan, who went on to be an Oscar-nominated actress. She is like the port authority that drives around uh, the cargo bays, checking to see if they've, you know, there's so much, there's billions of dollars of goods going through this Baltimore port, often run by um, pretty corrupt unions uh, and criminals that prey off of that. This is the importation, obviously, of a lot of the drugs that would end up with people like Avon Barksdale. 
Um, this was the ground zero. This was the international entry point for a lot of stuff, including women. And um, the shocking thing that happens at the start is they find 13 women suffocated in a container. They were obviously on their way for the sex trade and their breathing apparatus in the top had got crushed uh, and they were found to be dead. And there's a bun fight to make sure that their death is ruled accidental and not 13 new murders to investigate. But Jimmy McNulty, he believes that's connected with the body he found in the water because she doesn't seem to have been someone that jumped off a bridge. Um, And he's right. And what we then find is that there's a huge criminal organization run by a guy called The Greek, who's some mysterious international figure, a very competent criminal organization that prey on the ports. And the unions themselves are run by guys that are desperate to get their men work. But there is just so much politicising and desire to turn the docks into condominiums, very Sydney, almost like the New South Wales Liberal Party are in charge. Um, They're declining amount of work going around, so everyone's living in poverty in these tiny, tiny houses with, you know, five days work a month on zero-hour contracts. Um, And the the head of the union is very corrupt because he he actually needs the money to bribe politicians that's how the wire works this guy is an arch criminal not because he is a criminal not because he's enriching himself but because to get more work for his men he needs money to bribe politicians and that's all he uses the money for which is pretty tragic Um, But then it unfolds as this is another part of the criminal underworld in Baltimore. Uh, It was a very controversial season when it started because of the change in the environment, because everyone loved the gangsters from the first. But another thing that I did that was pretty revolutionary was carry over the important characters and the important storylines from each previous series. So we did get the major players like Stringer Bell, Avon Barksdale, and D'Angelo Barksdale in this series, and still the cops investigating them. But we also focused on what was happening in the docks and the goods coming through the docks that were often criminal, and also investigating who these women were and where they... They're almost a MacGuffin. It's quite tragic how much of a MacGuffin they end up being, actually. Um, I thought it was a wonderful change because the environment and the atmosphere of the docks and this Polish immigrant subculture that's invisible to the outside eye i thought was incredibly atmospheric um i thought that the um the, there was a problems with the characters some of them uh, one of them called ziggy who represented an archetype of the guy that always screws up the guy that's always the loudest in a bar who's quite a pipsqueak but always manages to get into a fight who can convert any goal into a screw up who never does anything the way he's told. And that character is an archetype that's very annoying. And he's one of the best actors to do that archetype. He's a brilliant character who has a tragic, truly tragic trajectory through the course of the season. And anyone that hated Ziggy for how annoying he was, he's a guy that will steal a car from a secure car park and drive around doing donuts with the stereo blaring. He cannot help himself, but he literally cannot help himself. And by the time of his demise, which is horrible, uh, you'd have to have a really hard heart not to just feel incredible sympathy. 
And I found the cast of dock workers to be very sympathetic. One of them, um, I can't remember who played him now, but one of the uh, the the main Frank Sabotka was played by Chris Bauer. He's a union head, and he's the dad of Ziggy and also the uncle of another of Sabotka clan. Um, and this other guy, he's just got a wife and kid, and he just wants to make money, but he can't get any work. And he gets seduced into the criminal world because it's the only way he can make money. Everyone ends up so far in over their own heads. And um, there are some very challenging political angles to the story as well, including what happens to the kingpin, the Greek, and his uh, right-hand man. Um, I thought the series was brilliant. I thought the whole new world had a different light to it. Amy Ryan's character brought some fresh air. She was a very... Well, you were, you could say naive, but she was just a really nice person, whereas all of the cops from the first season were incredibly cynical. She was just a, a single mum just trying to get by, but she was a really lovely person, and she represented a doorway for the lead character of Jimmy McNulty to walk through, but he didn't just yet. She represents a different life from him, away from his womanising and drinking and being a complete bastard. Um most of the main cops are still there and they all focus this series on after the Barksdale organisation main investigation sort of finished in season one, they focus on the docks eventually and the same wiretaps and the same uh, surveillance that they did in the first season is now focused on these dock workers and it's pretty painful that the death of 13 women is nowhere near as important to authorities as finding a corrupt union member, which is they're all over that because they hate unions. Um, so that's that series. And it's be- I thought it was brilliantly played. I thought the environment of these Polish dot workers and their tiny houses and their very rambunctious local bar and their horribly desperate attempts to get money the way their forefathers did as stevedores in the ports in a world that was changing, in a world that was becoming automated, where they were no longer necessary, was kind of heartbreaking. And it, sh- it really widened the panoramic of um, the city of Baltimore in the series. I thought it was another brilliant series. I don't agree that it was a loss. Because we get the um, drug dealers from the first season all throughout all five seasons. It just wasn't solely the focus anymore. Um, and I thought it was a, a very imaginative and, and daring thing to do with a series. I can't think of another series where they've thrown out their best element. Not completely, because we still got a lot of the advancement from the Avon Barksdale police drug story from the first continue to be advanced in every episode. But to have such a different universe presented, um, I thought it was brilliant and challenging and I really liked it and I thought I'm going to give The Wire Season 2 also 9 out of 10. And this is Julian on the brown note. The Wire Season 3 debuted in 2004 and this series introduced politics into the mix as it focused on a young upstart, Aidan Quinn. Aidan Quinn? He's the guy that plays the CIA operative at the start of the Batman film, The Dark Knight Rises, with that immortally famous, you're a big guy for you line that um, happens between them, uh, which uh, him and Bane on the plane at the start, uh, which is noted for its very poor acting from him. He plays an upstart politician that wants to become mayor of Baltimore, which is impossible because he's white. 
uh, and the city is prone to electing African-American mayors. But also the mayor is one of the most corrupt and brilliantly played human beings you'll ever meet. He's superb. He is so corrupt. And he treats everyone below him as solely in this world for his re-election, including the police commissioner and everyone around the police commissioner. Uh, he is just a, takes money from very dubious people and uh, does so frequently. I mean, everything in the t- in the city is for is you can buy basically. So this season it focuses on the politics of Baltimore, and we get to see how completely corrupt and how devastatingly despairingly cynical uh it it just makes you have no belief in democracy at all there's just nothing that can be done it's so ingrained that people will come in with all these ideals and have them beaten out of them just to get elected and make so many um alliances with people that they shouldn't to get there in the first place and have so much to pay back there's just no hope for any of us. It's a very angry show. It's an angry series and a very angry show overall in in its hopeless view of the people that lead us. Uh, once again, we carry over the Avon Barksdale Stringer Bell Drug Organisation and the uh, cops uh, led by Jimmy McNulty that are investigating Avon Barksdale. Avon, the head of the drug cartel, spent season two in jail where Stringer Bell was the de facto leader of the Barksdale organisation. He pushed it into very different directions, very much wanted them to become this legitimate business. And throughout season three, this leads to a huge fracturing of the relationship between Avon Barksdale, who miraculously gets out of jail. Um, He didn't get a very long sentence, and he manages to reduce that to about a year, despite being probably culpable for about 13 murders um he manages to weasel his way out of everything but by the time he's back on the street stringer bell has very different ideas on how to run the organization and their relationship collapsing is probably the most important uh, thematic element of season three um the politics are the, the the main new focal point and we follow carcetti the new white young good looking and very cocky guy that wants to become mayor and his involvement with an underworld that's as criminal as the criminal underworld with these politicians just out there to pick up money and bribes some wonderful characterizations throughout the show unlike the previous two it doesn't start with uh, very dramatic events it's a slow burner on the way in and we also get the character of marlo stanfield Um, I'll see if I can find his name, who ends up becoming the most important criminal entity of the back half of the season. I can't find his role. And the character of Omar, who's been running this vendetta against the Barksdale organisation, who are very unimpressed by this guy that continually walks into their drug houses with a shotgun and his trademark trench coat and steals all their money and drugs all the time. And has built up this reputation as this sort of like Robin Hood of the streets. Um, They're out for him. He's out for them to pay back the death of his um, boyfriend from the first series. And also we get the character of Brother Mosul, who's brought in from New York, uh, this Five Nation Islam guy who's a lethal hitman. He's brought in to steady the ship 
Uh, and Milo Stanfield's this new upstart drug dealer who's kind of, it reminds me of this, if you looked at the Barksdale clan as being the Terminator, he's kind of like the T-2000. He's dead-eyed. He has no morality. He has no thoughts on sentimentality or on the way things are done. He's relentlessly uh, trying to climb up the ladder. His crew is continually getting one up on Barksdale's organisation, who've lost many of their big hitters to jail. And every time Barksdale tries to attack this younger, smaller, faster, sharper and smarter opponent, he comes off worse. And gradually throughout the next two seasons, Milo Stanfield becomes the number one drug kingpin of Baltimore. And from a very almost evil perspective, he doesn't... I mean, the level of death he has on his hands by the end is quite astonishing. Um, And he doesn't deal with things from this old school perspective. He regards that as being a joke. Uh, And he's brilliantly played uh, these incredible eyes, just dead, soulless eyes. But there is something behind them. And he remains an enigma to the very end. Um, And uh, that battle goes in Marlowe's favour throughout the course of season three. But it's not a straightforward battle between his drug organisation and the Barksdale clan. The main things that happen there is the fracture at the very top of the Barksdale clan between Idris Elba as Stringer Bell and the, and the leader, Avon Barksdale. Now, this season starts slowly and gradually builds up steam. Um, the last few episodes are amongst the most loved of The Wire. They contain some truly transcendental moments, some truly shattering events. And had The Wire ended at season three, it would still be regarded in the same esteem as it is now. It is an amazing series, and the writing that's when it attains its true operatic whole as it's got these themes that have come up and these storylines that have been woven together and these very strong characters that have been built over 35 hours of television shattering into pieces and uh, there are some the most popular episode is uh, the last couple or probably two of the most popular episodes out of all 60 odd episodes um, and they're shattering. They, are, they, sh- they show some really interesting and moving thoughts from these gangsters about how they grew up and what they've become. And also we find out that String- and Stringer Bell basically reveals that he's killed the other guy's nephew, and this creates this incredible chasm between the two characters because the other guy could have eventually ratted them all out. Uh, and it's, it's, it builds to an amazing climax that takes place over uh, the remaining three episodes, which sees not Marlo Stanfield take over the Baltimore drug scene, but the Barksdale organisation implode uh, and do so in spectacular fashion. Season three is, for me, 10 out of 10. It is one of the greatest series of television in history, and it just... It builds to such an overwhelming wave after wave of climax as these incredible events happen. And we get a confrontation between Omar and Brother Marcel, uh, which is also amazing in its own right. And we also get the politicians and their duplicitous dealings all threaded together and the collapse of the Barksdale clan. So season three, an absolute masterpiece of television and one of the reasons why The Wire is held as one of the great TV series of all time. 10 out of 10. 
You're with Julian on the Brown Note reviewing each season of The Wire, which I just binge watched. Uh, we moved forward to 2006, and after the best season yet of The Wire, we now have season four, which was the most heartbreakingly sad season of The Wire. Now we move into the public school system, a very, very bureaucratically run devastatingly underfunded public school system and we meet four young kids who are moving through it all african-american kids all from very much the wrong side of the tracks one of them's dad is one of avon barksdale's top enforcers that's in jail for the rest of his life and is he he's in, expected to go into the same vein a lot of the kids in these classrooms spend their free time selling drugs on the corner as part of different criminal entities um, one of the kids, the saddest of the bunch, smells. Uh, he's dirty all the time and school gives him clothes. And when he takes the clothes home, his family sells them for crack cocaine and he comes to school in the same old clothes. And in fact, in one awful bit, he comes home and they've just been evicted and he can never find them again. The kids' lives are awful and... F- Every step of the way, the their whole curriculum and everything in the school is designed to meet government criteria, standardised testing. Standardised testing is the enemy of education, and it's shown so here as they spend the entire curriculum leading up to the tests literally teaching the children the answers to the questions, verbatimly teaching them the answers to the questions. Any other form of teaching which might actually help the children is considered uh, completely useless. All they have to do is get a slightly higher percentage on these test scores than they did last year to continue their funding. And the main teacher you get is Presbolowski. Presbolowski was the cop who, in season one, in an act of police brutality, blinded a youth by hitting him in the head with a gun. He has the most vast character trajectory of any. After that incident, he became a deskbound cop but a very good one and a much more thoughtful character. And unfortunately, in season two or three, he's he's now well regarded as he's a completely changed man, but he ends up shooting a colleague in a dark alley when there's a gunfight going on and kills a black officer and that's the end of his career. And he's, he's devastated by this, but ends up becoming a school teacher. So he's the uh, member of the police team that we started with is now a teacher in this devastating public school system. And we get um, one of the elements I didn't mention about season three is one of the main com- police commissioners sets up a drug free zone in, or, or uh, a free for all in Baltimore. He sets up some city blocks that are abandoned buildings and tells all of the local drug dealers, you are free to sell drugs in this area. And it ends up becoming this huge success because the violent crime and the presence of drug dealers outside people's homes is gone. And there's a law and order maintained in this one part of town where cops aren't just turning up and throwing 14-year-old kids onto their car bonnet. And it becomes this huge deal where they can actually get all of the sort of um, the sexual health people in to treat everyone needle exchange programs all go into this area they call Amsterdam. well of course by the end of season three it's fallen to pieces and this guy's got the boot but he ends up in the public school system and they run a, a, a group 
where they pull out the worst offenders in each of these classes where they might be disrupting everyone else who's barely there anyway and take these people that are destined to either be dead or have life imprisonment who are already part of the drug trade. Um, and he takes a lot of the kids on board and actually makes progress with them, not that the school system is remotely interested. We have the white mayor by now, but mainly it's the story about these four kids who you grow to really know. They are The writing in The Wire is as good as any television programme, the characterizations and the characters themselves are as good as anything that's ever happened in TV. And you really, really come to identify with these four children who are all friends, but who all have different trajectories throughout the course of season four, some unbearably heartbreaking. Uh, and the anger you feel towards the bureaucracy of the public school system and what it regards as success and failure and the complete ineptitude and, and deliberate ineptitude in caring for very at-risk children who have absolutely no hope at all. Uh, it's a hopeless season. Um, all of the... Uh, Mar Marlo Stanfield is now the drug kingpin of Baltimore, and his um, almost 100% ruthlessness has taken him to the top. The Barksdale clan has collapsed in the end of season three, Stringer Bell's no longer there. Avon Barksdale's back in jail. It's all left to Marlo Stanfield and his very almost Puritan, almost sort of Protestant outlook on life. He doesn't drink or smoke or seemingly have any involvement with women. He is just this ruthless terminator uh, and he's taken control of the city. The white mayor's in charge and rapidly losing his luster as he makes deal after deal to improve his own lot. But mainly it's about these kids and the absolute horror of a life that they have. Uh, season three was a spectacular, critical success. Season four is on the uh, aggregate site Metacritic as the second highest ranked television series behind Breaking Bad season five. That's how well received it was. As a piece of writing with all the complex elements from the previous seasons woven into the fabric of the story of its previously unheard of view of the public school system and the way that that filters into the criminal underworld and also upwards into the political world uh, it's a masterpiece again it's probably slightly better than season three so season four of the wire is heartbreaking and it's a 10 out of 10 again the two best seasons of the wire back to back arguably better than even better than the 10 out of 10 season three the season four of the wire and the final season of the wire season five is by far the most controversial due to well basically this season moves into the newsroom so we do continue uh, at this stage marlo Stanfield's drug organisation, the Barksdale clan have um, just sort of disintegrated into nothing and Milo Stanfield is this ruthless dictator uh, and the other drug dealers have all formed this big uh, New Day alliance where they have this um, group hug, <laughs> they have this sort of uh, meeting scheme where um, they all sort of um, share the drugs that they get from the ports from season two and uh, resolve all conflicts um, and Milo is sort of the guy that's trying to put a wedge between everyone and stop this communism going on and take everything for himself. Now, the new environment is season, uh, season five is the newsroom. 
and uh, that takes the place of the school system from the previous season. And we get to see the uh, fictionalised version of the Baltimore Sun incredibly prescient as it shows uh, a, a news world that is shrinking because of the impact of the internet. This is 12 years ago. And it's showing how uh, news reporting is going down in um, the abilities of the paper to sort of maintain a level of um, dignity and depth into its writing and the fact that it's, um, you know, going for scandal after scandal. And um, it, it encourages journalists to be con men and to make things up and to go for the easy pull. And that's what we see one of the journalists is... Just make he starts off making up small things like quotes and comments, and then he gradually becomes make, he becomes his own stories. He starts making up stories, and this is all about the impact of the declining advertising revenue on the news world and the declining standards that go along with that, which is hugely prescient. Uh, it does make for a, a, a very sort of ahead of its time world, which is magnificent. And um, they basically, Jimmy McNulty, the cop who started season one, is still one of the main characters. There comes a storyline in season five which is completely and utterly different to anything that had happened in The Wire. It's completely unrealistic and it's very badly written. It's the only narrative misstep that the season, any season, had taken in any episode, and it dominates the opening third. And that is that Jimmy McNulty, because the cops no longer have a budget to investigate Milo Stanfield, creates a serial killer. So he actually um, adapts murder scenes or dead bodies from drug overdoses to show that they've been targeted by this serial killer and then promotes that to the press. And of course, this very dodgy journalist is all too happy to jump on board and run with the story, including making stuff up himself. Now, it might sound good on paper and it might sound like it's an interesting way of presenting the modern news world, but it's written really badly. It's very it's undignified seeing the cop who's been part of one of the most well-written series in television history doing things like contorting a body and using false teeth to put bite marks on it. And it's, it's not only that story, uh, serial killer storyline, which is the worst of all of the seasons of The Wire, it's a little moments here and there. Lester Freeman, one of the best cops in the squad, he gets Milo Stanfield's mobile phone numbers. We're still dealing with uh, communications, wiretapping. And one of the great things about The Wire is the evolution of the mobile phone. I mean, up to this stage, they've gone from using payphones in the street to mobile phones to burners, and they actually popularise the term of a burner, which you might see Jason Bourne using, where you just buy a phone and use it once to using JPEGs uh, to avoid the uh, wiretaps, to not using mobile phones at all. It's really interesting the way that it follows the technology, technological advancements and this is being um, a battle or, yeah, it's an arms race between the drug dealers and the cops. Um, he gets the phone number of Milo Stanfield, which is like the most valuable commodity in the wire, and immediately phones him up and uses a fake accent. And you think he would never have done that before. It's, it's like they brought on board writers that were taking risks that weren't congruous to the realism depicted in the rest of the show or even written as well. And that dominates the opening third of the series. Gradually things peter out 
and gradually it moves towards uh, the end of all five seasons. And over the last few hours, it really regains all of its dignity back for some of the most powerful hours of the show. I'd say the last three or four episodes are as good as any in any series of The Wire, and it contains many devastating moments and many of the long-term character arcs have their very best moments. Milo Sanfield has his best two moments back-to-back towards the end and the last couple of episodes of flat-out classics. The newsroom story is really interesting, but it's kind of like if they'd done the um, school storyline and had a school shooting, it would have dominated what happened. You didn't get to see the basic environment. And that's what happens with the newsroom. Because you get the setup where the newsroom is so vividly portrayed and you see these awful bosses who are just as bad as the bureaucrats in the in the mayor's office, um, then it's dominated by a serial killer and you don't really get to see the normal day-to-day stuff, which would have made it so much better. And the serial killer storyline could have worked, but they really overdo it. It could have worked if it had come from the journalist, but it doesn't. It comes from the police and the police committing crimes to actually make that happen. So it is a massive letdown, but it's also still, compared to most other television, brilliant. And you spent so much time um, over, I think, 60 hours in all, uh, you spent with these characters who are so brilliant um, that it has sort of three or four hours at the end of this elegiac hymnal finality to it as all of the characters come to rest some in terrible places some in good places another thing about the wire is never predictable and the opening salvo is predictable jimmy mcnulty slides back into his old behavior and it feels a lot more predictable than any other series of the wire so i'd give the season five of the wire eight and a half out of ten and that's not because it was worth that all the way through It's the opening salvo of three episodes or four episodes. I'd probably give a five out of ten. It's jarring, and that spoils the other story elements. The last three or four episodes are worth a nine plus out of ten because they have such really conclusive and deep, meaningful moments with the characters that we followed, including the junkie Bubbles, who finally comes back down to earth and finally has a really good life again. And you really feel for these people. And some of the kids from season four have a better life, and some of them have an awful life with no hope. And it never pulled its punches. So the end of season five makes it all worthwhile. Eight and a half out of ten. And that's my review of The Wire. Season one, nine out of ten. Season two, nine out of ten. Season three, ten out of ten. Season four, ten out of ten. And the half bad season five, eight and a half out of ten for one of the best television shows of all time. And this track is nothing to do with anything. It's from Isaac Hayes' Hot Buttered Soul. And out-